0: Find that in your Bible, John chapter 13. For those who were here on Wednesday night, we had a decent crowd Wednesday night. Did you notice I did let the song service finish? Wednesday, I was so excited I was going to preach and I was zeroed in on that. And I just jumped up right before the last verse of the congregational song. I didn't even realize we weren't done yet. I just jumped up. But Tim on the way off says, yeah. well, did you want us to finish? I'm like, no. Sit down. Time to preach. So I let him finish today. I thought that was very generous. John chapter 13. Funny things that happen, I guarantee you. This message has been on my mind to preach here. For, I, I've actually had an outline, <laughs> which I'm not using this morning, but it, it's uh, uh, for it the last three weeks, and my heart kept, kept coming back to it, but then... And I say this just to be instructive to those of you who teach and preach and such things. Uh, but just wasn't time yet, and it was requiring some patience. And uh, then a uh, better focus on it was given exactly where I should go with it. And so I uh, think I got the green light to go ahead this morning. I will speak to you on the subject of Jesus explains himself. Jesus explains himself. And there's a lot of people who endeavor to explain Jesus. <laughs> Some of them make you cringe with the explanations. Some of them are good explanations. Some of them are well-meaning but misled explanations. But there's a lot of statements about Christ. A lot of books have been written about Jesus. A lot of different angles, a lot of different thoughts and that sort of thing. Of course, the Bible is the only completely reliable source of information regarding Jesus Christ, who He is, His life and the things He said. Everything else is just periphery, and uh, but the Bible is the part that's good. And uh, in the Bible, Jesus in this passage will be going at the end. We'll be going through part of John thirteen, and then into John fourteen. In this passage, Jesus explains himself to people whose heart is troubled and who are are afraid of some things that are coming. What we're going to read about in John thirteen shows you that. uh, There was a great concern about the information that Jesus gives them in John 13. And then Jesus responds to their concern with giving them comfort regarding himself in John chapter 14. And during that explanation, Jesus himself explains who he is. I think we can take that as a reliable source, can't we? I mentioned the other day, and I may mention this again another time, that uh, we had a quotation up there was attributed to Abraham Lincoln up there meaning on our sign. And a fellow drove by and left a, I called him the Google, a drive-by Google scholar. He he left a message. It wasn't smart alecky. That's what was funny about it. But he's like, hey, I just Googled your saying that may not have been Abraham Lincoln. And you know, this guy did a 15-second search while he was driving and wanted to set the record straight. And I thought that was amusing. Occasionally, I'll make mention of what I call Google scholars. I want you to understand something what I mean by that. And, and nobody has said anything to me about it, but uh, that's a search engine. That's a, that's a way, a means of accessing things, and you can learn some things. You certainly can look things up. You can research things just the same as you would if you opened some books and that. When I, when I refer to that and, and I say watch out for this Google scholarship, what I'm trying to warn you about is thinking that because you know a little bit, you've researched something. It is really a mistake, and it's it, it's it's more often a mistake of youth, not always. <laughs> the uh, maturity doesn't go that deep in some thinking, but uh, i'm going to be dealing part in here today about truth, and what happens is after you actually start checking into some things, you develop a uh, you develop an understanding of what makes sense against the whole picture of what you're looking at. In other words, if I'm looking up a historical thing and, I, and I'm at the uh, I'm at the uh, uh, mercy of someone else's scholarship and such and that, but I'm looking something up, but yet I have many years, I was an avid reader a long time before I was saved. I was an avid reader from a young age and I've read a lot of books. History's always been very interesting to me and biographies and these sort of things. And... So sometimes I'll come across something. I uh, think about a, a good book I read on Lincoln called A Lincoln. That's why it says on the title. Excellent book. And when I read certain things in there, as I would, it, it would mention certain things. Then I had, I knew I had encountered that over here, and I'd encountered that over here, and I had read that in this publication, which may have been clear back to the eighteen hundreds, and I read about this one in you know early early nineteen hundreds, and then this more recent. And so, in other words, you have a body of evidence to compare against. So if someone makes a statement that's just outlandish, you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. There's no history of that. And when I warn against this thing, a Google scholarship, I just think it's a neat little term I came up with to explain this mindset that you can just jump in and grab a few facts and then you actually mistake facts for wisdom. And it's really important in the Christian life to understand those two things are not synonymous. And uh, facts are part of the building block towards wisdom, can be part of the building block towards wisdom, according to application. But it's important to understand with your Bible, it's that way too. You need to, uh, I, I believe the best studying of the Bible is to read it. I study, I study subjects, I do word studies, I do all types of studies. But the very best type of studying, if you will, of the Bible is to read the Bible and read the whole Bible and get the feel for it and get the flavor of it and get how it fits together, get the overview of it. When you do that, then you are far less susceptible to be blown about with wind of doctrine because when something comes up that doesn't match the whole body of the scripture, someone finds their two, three, four pet verses that they can't even explain well and they want to throw out the whole body of revealed truth because of something that they don't understand, you'll be resistant to that and it'll keep you healthier. And so anyway, that's not part of the sermon, but certainly part of the message this morning. Let's look at John 13. One of the most poignant verses, I believe, in the Bible. Just something It carries an intensity within itself. I'm going to begin us with that, but let me say what preceded it verse I'm going to share with you in just a moment Judas Iscariot is getting ready to betray Christ He had already met with those who would want Jesus dead, want to destroy him. In fact, that's the word that Jesus they want to destroy him. They did not just want his person dead, they wanted all his influence erased. They wanted his name besmirched, they wanted the whole thing done. And he was looking for opportunity and now he has found it. The uh, disciples are with Christ in what is commonly known as the Last Supper. It's the last time they were gathered together. Jesus had said that one would betray him, and he said, It's the one I give the sop to. I like that. How many of you know how to sop your bread? Amen? Are you call it Absolutely. In fact, until I understood that I needed to order my eggs, if I'm eating out, I need to order them medium well. Or over medium, I should say. Over medium. Before I understood that, I called them soppy eggs. That's how I grew up knowing about them. That means the white's done. Because you folks who like the white not done, you need counseling. Yeah, that's right. Tell you what, things like that aren't supposed to be going into your body. But I like the yoke like not done. Because I want to dip my bread in it. Soppy. Those are soppy eggs. All right, I have a reflex on Sunday morning. My wife fixes me. I eat eggs, oatmeal, and, and two pieces of bacon and a piece of uh, bread. That's my, that's my breakfast. My more, the breakfast of the champion preachers. All right? And when I sit down to eat my eggs, I, I hold my hand like this. It's almost a sacred ritual. You say, why do you do that? Because soppy eggs fight back. Sometimes when you squish them, they, they shoot out, and I end up having to change my tie and my outfit. Or if I wear yellow, that's not a problem. But the, uh, I don't know what I was talking about. I'm lost. I'm lost in my illustration. I was like, huh? Sorry. You sure I wasn't talking about old age? You know, Dippy Is that? Well, that's a good name. I like it. Who called them dippy eggs? He did? If you're dippy and you know it, say amen. <laughs> I'm trying to desperately find out how that had anything to do with what I was talking about here. I oh, no, don't know. Anybody Huh? The SOP, thank you. I'm back. Thank you, Brother Carpenter. Appreciate that. You've rescued me. Uh, from strained mind, he rescued me. Make a good song. They, uh, but the uh, he said he'd share the SOP, and the one he's dip the soft with that was the one who would betray him see once my train hooks back up I get the whole I get the whole thing um, and so Jesus had said he was going to dip the bread and then hand it to somebody and he hands it to Judas here's what's amazing Judas gets up and goes out and Jesus said what thou do do it quickly and he goes out and the Bible says in fact just prior to what I'm going to read to you the rest of the disciples watched him go and thought well he must have business to take care of he must have something the Lord wants him to do Isn't that amazing? Judas, who had been a thief the continuous time he was there among them, was not even suspected. It's amazing, isn't it? And to me, that's a great lesson. Anytime I think that I have a great gift of discernment, maybe maybe not quite as much as we think. And so that happened. And then verse thirty, I do know what I was going to preach about, so we're good here. Verse thirty, it says, "He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night." That's what I think is so poignant. Isn't that emphatic? Jesus had said this hour of darkness. Oh, if it was ever night. It was night right then. As Christ would be heading towards betrayal. Verse 31, Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. So he's telling this to the disciples that are left there, the 11 that are left at this meal. Then he ad- he addresses them in an affectionate term. It's not a condescending term when the Lord uses it. It's affectionate. He said, little children, yet a little while I am with you. And how much like little children they must have been to the Lord. But yet he doesn't say it in a condescending or a demeaning manner. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You shall seek me. And as I said unto the Jews, whether I go, you cannot... Come, so now say I to you. He, uh, he had said that to the Jews earlier, and they really were trying to figure that out. A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Jesus is telling me, He says, I'm going to be physically leaving you. And what you're going to need from each other, you're going to need to continue to love and treat each other like I've treated you when I'm here. Very, very powerful. Then he talks about that for the witness of the, the uh, uh, church of God's people as a whole and as a body. In verse 35, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Apparently, many of them did that right. There was great fruit. There was great things that happened. And then you go over to Antioch. The church was established there, and by the way, that church had a lot of Gentile believers in it. It was a place where Gentiles first came in, strong force there. And then it was the first church out of which organized missions went out. And that place at Antioch was the first place they, they were called Christians, and so they lived in such a way people, their life, how they treated each other, and what they did together reminded them of Jesus, and so they were fulfilling this commandment. So you can see that people did this. And uh, he did that. And then, verse 36. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? I mean, that's a logical question, isn't it? Jesus said, I'm going away. You can't come where I'm going. Uh, You're going to have to do some things now. Peter said, where are you going? He said, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, whither I go, thou canst not follow me now. You're not going now. Now's not your time. But thou shalt follow me afterwards. He said, your time's later. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? you got to love it. You know, I understand we call Peter presumptuous, and we mostly do that because he was a lot of times. But you got to admit, he wanted to be with his Lord. That's not a bad thing. I will lay down my life for thy sake. Well, he just jumped into a little boasting there, and that's he gets in trouble when he does that. First part of that sentence isn't bad. Second part, he, second sentence, rather, there's a, a little suspect. Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, the cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. So he's told the disciples that someone among them is going to betray them. Judas has went out. Jesus looks at the other ones who are left and he says, I'm getting ready to go where you can't come. And they have left everything to follow him. And he said... You can't come now, and then Peter says, "Why can't I come? Where are you going?" And he's asking these questions, and then he looks at Peter, who was indisputably leader of the group. I mean, just by natural, the others followed him. You see the great evidence after this, and after the 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 uh, crucifixion and, and uh, resurrection, and all that happened. Peter didn't get guys together. Hey, why don't we do this? He just says, "I'm going fishing," and, and six of them went with him. Okay, we will too. I mean, he had that. He was that fellow in the group who just. He went and the others went with him. And he, Jesus has looked at that man who the others, no doubt see as one of the main disciples. He's one of the three that Jesus would call out to himself for further teaching. And he looks at one of the three. I mean, you have these others who have followed Jesus, but every time it's a special event, special thing, Jesus has called out. The three. And now, Jesus looks right at Peter in front of all of them. And he says, you're going to deny me before this night's done. Now You've got to admit, that's a lot of information of a lot of different types coming to him once, isn't it? That's the context going into chapter 14. Let's look now at what Jesus said to them in this situation because there's a lot of different factors going on. He understands what he has said to him and what's happened, what's transpiring, what's going on, plus what's getting ready to go on. It's very troubling. And so he says in verse 1 of chapter 14, as we have it, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. He said, Now, you've got to not let your heart be troubled. You've just received some startling news. You're going to see some things. You're going to have to not let your heart be troubled. I don't think any of us would, if we understand the Scripture at all, if we read anything about the life of Christ, that we would think that Jesus is telling them they're going to have no emotion, that they're not going to have a tide of emotions to them. This idea of letting your heart be troubled is the idea of being moved away from steadfastness. It's the idea of uh, being overwhelmed. That's the concept of it. He said, Let not your heart be troubled. And then he makes a declarative statement to him Ye believe in God. Sometimes when that's read and preached on, it's almost taught and preached on as if he's asking them a question. He's not asking them a question, he's making a statement. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. He's looking at them. He knows them. They've walked with him. And he said, you believe in God. Then he says, and look how revealing this is, believe also in me. It's the same intensity, the same belief. It is the same belief. And you're going to see in a few verses because he is beginning to reveal to them exactly who he is. He said, you believe in God. Believe also in me. Then he makes a great statement. In my father's house are many mansions. I like the concept of that spaciousness. I like the idea of the accommodation, the beauty, the order, these things. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Now, in just a few moments when I talk to you about Jesus as He explains Himself, I want you to harken back to that. Because He looked at Him He said, if it wasn't this way, I would tell you bluntly, flat out, what it is or isn't like. I love that about the Lord. He's very upfront about things. I would tell you, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. See, it's God's desire that we be with Him. It's our sin that separates us from God. It's our unbelief that separates us from God and God wants us to be with Him. Verse 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto Myself that where I am, there you may be also. And the Lord has received millions of people to Himself since that day. Some from our very church family here. And yet there will come a day when He will receive those of us who remain. He'll receive us collectively to Himself. That'll be a great day. It'll be fun to go out on that group, won't it? would will be a good one. I had somebody, a believer once, it was so funny, and they were serious. I didn't laugh because they were serious and it was a concern. And I think I helped them with the Scripture. They said, I must confess to you, I'm not looking forward to the Lord calling us to Himself or coming back in the clouds that way. And I thought that was unusual. This wasn't a... Young person getting ready to get married. I hear that kind of in that time of life. That's and I thought, I wonder why. And they said to me, all seriousness, Christian Christian uh, 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 believer. They said, I'm scared of heights. <laughs> the thought of going up was not their idea of what heaven should be. So I assured them that the Lord would not drop them. <sighs> that's a good thing. <laughs> And so he said this in verse 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. And by the way, as a permanent resident. like that. And whither I go, you know. He says, you know where I'm going. And the way you know. Interesting. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. <laughs> How can we know the way? So Jesus says, you know where I'm going. You know how, how to get there. Thomas goes, no, no. No, no. It's interesting. He said, no, I really, really don't get it. And I uh, don't know where you're going. And so here you have the disciples. They just received some really strong news. Jesus has told them, I'm leaving you. You can't come with me. They have traveled with him everywhere. They have followed him from city to city. They have been there when uh, the Jews were going stoning. They have been there in the mountains. They have been there crossing sea. They've been all this stuff. And now Jesus says, you're not able to go with me now. You can't come. And the reaction is, what me you mean we can't come? <laughs> what do you mean? You said, follow me. That's why we left the, the fishing business. That's why we left the, 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 uh, uh, the, the money business. That's why we, uh, what do you mean? We're following you. That's This is what we've done. This is what we've given ourselves to. And he says, you can't follow me now. And then he turns to Peter. And Peter says, well, I'll follow you. He says, I'll follow you all the way to death. And Jesus looks right at Peter and says, no, you won't. He said, you'll deny me tonight. A lot of strange things going on, huh? And then he's also speaking to what they're going to encounter. Because see, they not only got this news, but it won't be that many hours till they will see this man who they love dearly, this man who they have... Gained an appreciation of his love for people, how he's cared for people, how he's healed people, how he's fed people, how he's done all this. And they're going to watch him butcher. Because that's what the crucifixion was. It was a stark butchery. And that's fitting because it was a sacrifice. And he was butchered right in front of them. They saw this. It affected them. And so he prepares him and says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then he says, you know where I'm going. You know how to get there. Thomas says, no, I don't. Well, he had taught them, but they didn't get it. And then Jesus explains himself. Let's look at his explanation of himself. Jesus saith, verse 6 here, direct response to Thomas's question, we know not where the dog goes, how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am, look how declarative, you have a singular definite article in front of each word. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man coming to the Father, but by me. I mentioned to a couple of you, I had an occasion to speak to a business owner this week. And she's a lady, owns business. And uh, gave me about five minutes of her time to talk to her about faith um, I gave her a written copy of the statement I gave you men in the last men's meeting we had about in order to keep success from being a, a series of victories that leads to ultimate failure you need to remember And I gave five words the first of those was faith this lady looked at me and she said you know um, she calls me pastor Dan. She, she said you know she says uh, Catholic lady she says, you, uh, she says, the thing I struggle with most is faith. And I told her, I said, it's most commonly people struggle with that because they try to quantify their faith, measure their faith, figure out if they have faith. They question the veracity of their own faith. And all of those exercises are inward turning exercises. If I'm trying to figure out if I have enough faith, I'm inherently making myself the center object of my thinking. If I'm trying to figure out if my faith is genuine faith and I dwell on that very long, then I'm thinking about me. And therefore, I am missing what faith is about. Faith is about where is that faith placed? See, our songs in our songbook teach so much. One great one, often used for invitation, turn your eyes upon Jesus. That's really what faith is. Faith, You're not, you're not trying to figure out it, how much belief you have, how genuine your faith is. And all that, what you're doing is you're coming to the conclusion based on evidence that Jesus is who He said He is and can do what He said He would do. Until you're being led to trust Him. She said to me, and she pushed away all the workers and stuff for about five minutes and just talked to me very serious. And uh, I won't go into details of it beyond that, but she uh, she said to me during time, she said, I feel so unworthy. And I called her name and I said, you are, and I am, And that's the issue. That's why we have a Savior. We don't have have someone who picks up after we do as much as we can do and then finishes it. He's a Savior. Which means we're flawed and have to have him. So Jesus explains that. Look what He says here in verse 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth and the life, No man cometh to the Father but by me. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment, but let's go on with the narrative here. If you had known me, remember the question they're asking about the Father and such things. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth, from this point forward, you know him and have seen him. (laughs) Then Philip chimes in. So this is very interactive. A lot of the disciples are talking. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father and it sufficeth us. So Philip's listening to this conversation. Here's what Peter says. And Peter says, I'll die with you. Now that's Peter. Jesus said, hey, what? You're going to deny me. Jesus says, you know where I'm going. You know how to get there. Thomas says, I can't know. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Jesus said, I'll tell you very clearly. I am the way. I am the way. Not I know what the way is. I am the way. I tell you all what the way is, but I am not the way. He is the way. I am the way. The truth and the life." And then Philip says, he said, show us the Father and it sufficeth us. He said, show us the Father, okay? Let's get this taken care of. <clears throat> then verse 9, Jesus saith unto him, have I been so long time with you? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He looks at Philip and says, you don't know who I am yet. That's the problem. These, these, these men had seen him calm a raging sea, stepped out onto a ship, spoke a word, and the sea went calm. It scared them to death. You read the account. They're like, oh, okay, that's unusual. They saw him walk in water. They were there for the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000. They saw people healed. They saw this. And yet here, Jesus said, you don't know who I am yet. You haven't figured this out. And he makes a statement to him, verse 9 again, Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father, not a likeness of the Father, the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? He took upon himself the form of a man. He was made in the fashion of man. But he's not man. It's God who rubbed himself in flesh that he might defeat sin in the flesh where man had been defeated so that he could redeem man back to himself. God entered into the arena where we lost and he won. So Jesus explains himself, explains himself very clearly and explains himself with three small but very powerful words. And and he says it there in verse 6 Jesus saith unto him, I am the way. And here's what I'm glad I waited for to get for you. He said, "I am I understand. Underline word is Hadas means a pathway, a roadway, the way you travel." I get that. Well let me give you the application as it shows and it fits other scripture. It's not contradictory to that, but it gives you a better understanding of what Jesus was saying if we look at the, look at the scripture with it. When he said, I'm the way, very simple. Think of the way as how you get from one destination, from one place to a destination, another destination. When uh, yesterday evening, I drove over to Lawrenceburg, Indiana, and back last night, and and I was over there, and I got ready to go. I I took my handy-dandy little phone and and said, Lawrenceburg, Indiana. I put it in uh, where I need to go and address and hit that little thing and... Looked at it, took off down the road, and argued with it across Ohio. I didn't doubt I was going the right way. I just like to argue. It's electronic. You am going to let some electronic female tell me how to drive. <laughs> but I just, was a certain path I went down. For that time of day, it took me. Out of Circleville, up 56 to 71, down 71, 275, and around and over. Down into uh, a little chunk of Kentucky there, and then Indiana, and, and uh, Route 50, and you go over to Lawrenceburg. By the way, in case it's ever on a camera shows up, I went to the Hollywood Casino. God is my witness. The road going into that stupid casino is bigger than the road going to Lawrenceburg. And I didn't listen to my female director. She kept saying, bear right, bear right. And I'm looking at it thinking, that makes no sense. they got a, it's like a super highway going into the parking garage in that casino. I drove into that thing. I had nowhere to go. I couldn't, I couldn't turn around. I'd been going up one way and I thought, oh my goodness. I'm just telling you all, I'm preaching to you today. I was over at the Hollywood Casino last night. I drove around that parking garage looking for the exit. I found it. I got me out of there. I said, Lord, you let me out of here, I'll get out of here. I thought my goodness. <laughs> I didn't stop in fellowship. I didn't give anybody a track. I just got out. Pointed <laughs> <laughs> and found the right way. Came back around. This time I went to the little bitty road. The little bitty, one little bitty lane. And then it goes around that big huge building. And then I got over to Lawrenceburg where I was trying to go. And uh, got back. I didn't stop there either on the way back. It's kind of funny how you get distracted. But there's a way to get there. And uh, Jesus said, "I'm the way, so we understand that, but here's the thought I have for you. Um, I'm going to use a word here that's too sterile for what I'm explaining, but I think it'll help you understand what I'm trying to put in your mind a little. Jesus says he explains that he's the way and forgive me this next word, He's explaining the mechanics of salvation. Boy isn't that? Didn't that sound like a, a word you don't catch in? But I want you to understand there are certain things that actually had to happen for salvation to be achieved. That's what I'm trying to, uh, forgive me, I, I feel like I'm attached to not an not a evil word, but not a word that suits the subject. Um, but there were certain things actually had to happen. When Jesus said, I'm the way, he's not only the way from here to heaven. You know, I remember a little rockabilly so called gospel song. I heard when I first got saved, Jesus is my ticket to heaven. Help me! I think I've grown past that. And uh, I'm not talking about I'm not talking about just that. That's anybody goes goes to heaven, they go because of Christ. That's why. Um, But so certain things had to happen. There's a way. You see, there's a way your salvation had to happen. You know, and the scripture says, for you were not redeemed from the vain, uh, tradition, uh, vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers with, with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. It talks about it without spot, without blemish. If you, if you bought something with silver or gold, there'd be a transaction point. If you redeemed or bought something back, there'd be a transaction point. Something of value would literally have to be laid down so that something could be received. You understand that well I'm talking about the mechanics I'm talking about the action of. It. Jesus literally was crucified. It wasn't an ideal. it wasn't an idea. it wasn't an allegory. He literally was butchered, not something. It's an allegory of the suffering of mankind. and No! Jesus Christ literally gave His flesh to be broken for us and gave His back to the whip, and it was furrowed deep, and He gave His face to the smiters, and He was spat upon, and all these things happened. There was a real transaction. When He said, I am the way, He said, I am literally going to enter in to what actually has to happen for your salvation to be available. It's not, a, it's not a how you feel about it thing. It's not a mystical thing. There was a real transaction that the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. There had to be perfect blood. Even as Judas admitted after his betrayal, he said, I have betrayed the innocent blood. And he said, that has to be shed. There is a cost. And the price has to be paid. God knew that man couldn't pay it. God knew that even his own perfect law could not provide the way of salvation because it could never be kept perfectly by imperfect man. The flaw of God's law is our keeping of it. So what did he do? He interposed himself. He he put himself there. God said, I will come and do this in the person of Jesus Christ. So when Jesus said, I am the way, he said, I'm the payment. I'm the atonement. I'm the mercy seat. In fact, one of the things in the Bible, Jesus is called the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. That, that statement's made. That word propitiation is the exact word. There's the word mercy seat. It's the idea where God meets man. Where the blood was applied on that mercy seat that was on the Ark of the Covenant. All the Ark means is a vessel that contains in the Covenant were the the commandments that were given. So the law of God that ended up condemning man because man broke that law was inside that Ark. Over top of the law that condemns because of man's sinfulness was a seat called a mercy seat. On top of that mercy, which was over that law, the blood of Christ would be, or the blood of the Lamb was sprinkled pointing forward to Christ. And when that blood was applied, God accepted that as atonement because the blood was applied with God's mercy that overcame the condemnation of the law. And God said, I can receive you now without compromising who I am. So well, God... Provide the whole thing. That's why it's called the all in all. I say, what's well, our part in it? Of works, there is no part. Of application of faith, there is. Because the Bible says in Romans, we have, by faith, we have access into this grace wherein we stand. Some people who go off in Calvinism stuff don't understand this, that the grace is there. And they read about these things that have been since eternity. And they say, oh, there it is. And then they think that God just Drops that on you wantonly. It's not how the Bible describes it. The Bible says the way you go into that is by faith. What's faith? That you account that Jesus is who he said he is. You believe that he actually did what he said he did. And you account God to be good. So that's the way. Then he said, I'm the truth. And the truth is what allows us to understand it. It's interesting. I pointed out to you just briefly that Jesus said, if it were not so, I would have told you. He's pointing to his own veracity, his own truth. He said, I'm going to tell you if it's not so. He, uh, it is by truth that we, that we uh, receive what was done by Jesus being the way. Being truthful about ourselves, our, our lost condition, our need. In other words, we can read Romans 3 and read what our natural state's like and we say, God, that is me. We quit excusing. We quit making allowances for ourselves. We quit painting a picture different. We quit blaming other people for our own decisions, and we fully receive and own the fact that we're lost before God. I tell you when I knew at the at the service there for Carolyn, I tell you when I had the almost certainty that we were going to hear gospel. I was up by the casket and I was talking with someone. Same time, I was scanning the conversation behind me. Tolliver, who's her son, was talking to someone else. They were talking about some things about the Bible and this. And heartache when it comes and different things of that nature. And they made the statement. Tolliver made the statement. He looked at the fellow and he said, You know, he says, sometimes it's those very things in life that bring a person to the point of repentance. When I heard him make that statement, I thought, we're going to hear the gospel. Almost sure we're going to hear the gospel. Because any man who would recognize that God is in the business of bringing us to a point of repentance, so that he may then bring us to the point where he wants to bring us, which is being forgiven and being with him, the man who gets that part of it will probably get the gospel right. And he did, thank you. Good, because you and I, Jesus is the truth. Bible, as the truth is in Christ, I lie not. These types of phrases are in the Bible. What is it? Jesus is truth, not situational, not experimental. Boy, I heard. A great statement by Pastor Clarence Sexton. I heard a great statement by him yesterday. I was, I, I, caught up with some people I was wanting to catch up with, and by virtue of Siri, sent, don't do it. Uh, sent, uh, sent, uh, some some text, fixed some of them, sent them again. This thing has a weird sense of humor. I think it actually got angry at me yesterday. It started messing with something I was saying. I don't know. I'm not sure. All electronic things are possessed. Um, <laughs> and I listened to some preaching as I was traveling. And uh, here's a statement he made. It was a question and answer time with couples. at the couples were treated. It was a good little, good little thing. And he just made this statement in passing. He said, "He said my, uh, he said my faith is a valued heritage, not a contemporary experiment." It's a good statement. My faith is a valued heritage, not a contemporary experiment. Truth! It was preached to you recently they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Message entitled True Worshippers, talking about those that come to Christ, talking about those that worship God. Truth! We've got to have truth. In the penitential psalm, in Psalm 51, when David was getting right with God, he said, Thou desires truth in the inward parts. Jesus is truth. We don't get to define Him for our generation. Boy, that's an affront to God. I can tell you on the authority of the Word of God, that's an affront to a holy God. For any generation, to think that they may redefine or define who Jesus is for their own self. Well, you have to define Jesus for yourself. No, you don't. You don't get that... You, you, how arrogant, how arrogant, how arrogant we can be as human beings. God is who He is. And it is our uh, privilege to come to know Him. You're not going to master Him, you're not going to lord over Him. It's enough that we could know Him and His mercy and His goodness. I find I'm learning things about Him at this stage in life that I was unaware that I needed to learn. Isn't that something? I feel like a freshman in college again, Joel. I didn't even know what questions to ask sometimes. <laughs> I started learning something. I didn't even know to ask that. You, know? you didn't even know that you needed it. And there it is. God's good luck. Like he's very patient with us. I'm glad he is. And so what happens, he said, I'm the way, I'm the truth. And then, notice what else he said he was. He said, I am the way, singular definite. I am the truth, singular definite. Then he said, I am the what?" There's the vitality of it. Not a dead orthodoxy. You can have a doctrinal statement that's exactly right. We believe these things to be true, and you can have a statement regarding the scripture that can be doctrinally accurate. And I'm for that, by the way. I like. I want substance. I don't want to be wildfire. I want the fire of the Lord to burn in my heart based on truth, substance, and reality. And uh, I think sometimes, I think sometimes people struggle with some things in life because they don't have that reality. I understand everybody struggles but you know well Jenkins said we're in my presidency you know he, he actually got saved when he was a teenager he's a preacher's kid his, his dad found churches all over in kentucky his dad's in his dad had a good relationship in fact when 32 33 years that john was in gaylord he started that church and pastored up there all those years um, for a good number of those last 12 15 years his dad I was on staff up there. His dad, was like eighty years old, and still going at it like a, like a wild man. But uh, John said in his own testimony, when James said, you know, he got saved when he was a teenager. He said, i we been playing game. He said, I've made several professions. Been baptized a couple of times, and he makes a statement in his own unique way of saying things. He says, you know, I discovered something. What's that, brother John? He goes, It's a whole lot easier to live as a Christian if you actually are one. want. <laughs> You understand that. so It's a vitality. We could have every, every doctrinal thing right. We should. I believe in doctrine. I believe it's important. We could have everything lined up, but be lifeless. I heard a fellow say, well, I was trying to explain the Bible, and uh, I, I love this, about how God not only inspired, but preserves it, and God's, God's life and breath is in it. I have no problem saying my Bible is inspired. I know some people run off, foaming at the mouth when you say that. Oh, double inspiration! Please, give yourself a little bit. I don't think God was at Hampton Court and spoke English to those people. Okay, so I just really I do understand the issue in that way. But uh, why is it wrong to say that the God who so declaratively gave it by inspiration was also involved in making sure we have it? What's wrong with me saying it's inspired? me to come from God? the only place that the word of God actually exists some documents that don't even exist anymore <laughs> well that probably helps. no so I get up here I can see my English Bible I believe this is a, uh, a divinely inspired preserved word of God I'd have no problem sending an inspired word of God somebody wants to bust their head on that they just have to get lumps out of the can I guess but that's I know what I mean by it and I believe by it with that but you know I heard a fellow saying once and I thought it was hilarious he said you know the mummies." You go to the museum, he said, the monkeys are preserved, but they're not inspired. <laughs> now what I'm trying to point out to you, and I may have distracted some of your minds on the issue of the Bible, but that's all right. Um, what I'm trying to point out to you is there's got to be a vitality of Christianity. And that, by the way, is not a certain personality type. Some of us are more demonstrative with our emotions than others. <laughs> not unusual, you know, for us to get into things. We had an absolutely hilarious thing happen during our conference at the 2 o'clock hour this year. The 2 o'clock hour is kind of neat, We have that 2 o'clock preaching right after lunch. And it looks in like some of you look right now, if I, you've got the pre-lunch. Pre-lunch, post, I had sugar in Sunday school. Look. Um, then, uh, but we got up here and somebody said something. And we come in, we just sing a song, and then we just jump right into the service. And there are probably 25, 30 of us in here. Brother Bob sat back here, right? <laughs> And I went into full, oh, I don't know what triggered it. I don't even remember. I went into full Eastern Kentucky, hacking, preaching about like Just like they do it up on the hills up there. I mean, I went into it. I was wind sucking and hacking, and I, did, I went into it. And, did, and Brother Randy Faust, he passed it over the legs, he got shouting. Couple other people, well, they, they just—we just had lunch. We we're kind of having fun, but I went into, you know, the whole thing. You see me do, hop, 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 and I just went into it completely. I'm all over this platform like that. Brother Bob was sitting back here, and I never forget he had his Bible and he put it down. me, and, he, and he, he just puts his hands on his Bible, and he's sitting there looking at me like that. And I look back, and his eyes are about that bigger. Out, well, he's never seen me. The, the, the different my different personalities come out, so I was. We just did that for a minute, and, and I, I just went like that for a minute. And everybody would up. Yeah, we just got down to lunch. Everybody's like, ooh, they're shouting. And then I stopped. I said, and in conclusion, brethren," and, and so we just were having a little fun. He gets up to preach, and he goes, oh, my soul. You know how he is? He goes, I don't know what just happened here. <laughs> it just totally confused it. I'm not talking about personality type. There's a fellow named Billy Brain. Got saved. And uh, he was a shouting fellow. He was a coal miner. When he got saved, he got happy and never quit being happy about him. And they tried to calm him down. They couldn't calm him down. And they said, Billy, why do you shout all the time? And he lived it. I mean, this guy's desperate all the way to the end. He just stayed at it. And he said, well, when my left foot hits the ground, he said, it says amen. And he says, well, when my right foot hits the ground, it says glory. And <laughs> he just that was him. Uh, You've met people who have that type of personality about them. It. It's not a personality thing. There are other people who are just as serious for the Lord and have just as much of a vital faith and vital Christianity, but there are quieter people. They have a different way about it. We're not talking mannerism. We're talking about the reality of life in you. Because see, if just the issue was your sins being forgiven, and if certainly Christ accomplished what is needed for that when he was at the cross when he resurrected but if your sins were taken all from you today you would still not have life because the absence of sin is not life it is the presence of the life of Christ that saves us we are kept kept by the power of an endless life it is Christ in you The hope of glory. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. But the glory may be of God, not of us. All these passages and so many more deal with the fact that there's a vitality to Christianity. There's a life to Christianity. There's something real. There's a lady I used to take care of for property in the early days of the church. And I would have uh, pick up different side jobs and things like that, trying to supplement her income. And... uh, the, uh, this lady, Ms. Shields, was out there on 158. I was doing work in her yard and such one day. There was a fellow there who was remodeling her bathroom. And I got that occasion, or actually I sought the occasion and then got to talk to him and start talking to him about the gospel. And he had a moment between doing things. I wasn't holding him up from his work. And we got talking to him. And I talked to him and He was friendly and such. But he goes, Ah! He says, uh, Preacher, he says, uh, I was there on, you know, I'm riding along over and we're talking. I turned it off. He goes, I got enough of church when I was young. We went all the time, and he kept saying that. He said, I got enough of church when I was young. I got enough church when I was young. Finally, I stopped him, called his name. I don't remember his name now. I don't remember what he looks like. I said, uh, so let me say something to you, if I may. He said, all right. I said, I believe you. What did you do? He said, me argue. I said, yeah, I, so I think you got church enough. You got enough church. You may got too much of it, He's looking at me like kind of a weird preacher to get. It. I said, "You got a lot in church, but it does not appear that you got anything in Jesus." Mm-hmm. <laughs> right Wherever I gotta go now? Exit stage left. Very well. Why? I hit the court. The other person I was talking to I got to talk about this week, talk to this week, from people this week that I was telling you about the I like the fact their question came to this. Do I have real faith? What's it based on? Who's it in? See, that's the question. I am the way. That's the things that actually had to happen are the keys for salvation for me to be available. I am the truth. I'm telling you plainly what this is. And you may trust me. And you need to be truthful. And I am the life. He said, "I am the vitality. I'm the one who comes in. I'm the one who actually makes a difference." I'm supposed to stop now. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your words and uh, clarity of them. I pray you'll do supernatural work in people's lives to the point of convicting, convincing. May your people realize what a great heritage they have and live according to that bless this invitation that you may be honored with it please stand together please as a group please no distracting or talking among yourselves They I ask you a simple and serious question have you believed on Christ as your Savior The Bible says if we do not believe on him, that we have made him a liar. It's not that we have changed his nature to where he's a liar. We use the term we've made him out to be. We have called him that because he's given a record of who he is, why he came, and the fact we must be born again. If we don't believe that, then we have said, no, what you've said is not true. It really comes down that strongly. Turn your, turn your belief to Christ. Quit looking at the 101 questions. Quit dwelling on your own inadequacies. For goodness' sake, don't hide behind what you're supposed to be your own virtues. All such things are a delusion. It's your faith in Christ. I will pray, and we'll have an opportunity. If you don't know Christ, we have people in the room, myself, others. We can take a Bible and talk to you about this. You could know biblically, you could be sure that you have this real life in Christ. You're a believer today and you say, Yes, I am. Actually, whatever flaws, whatever failures, preacher, I I really do believe in Jesus. He is the Savior and He's the only one I'm trusting. And you can take a lot of courage by knowing that He loves you, He's truthful with you. And could you see that these disciples, they had some strange questions, didn't they? And they were they, they were struggling with some things, weren't they? But he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Isn't that amazing? Jesus said that to them. You believe in God. He's like, yeah, you're, you really do. Believe also in me. He said, you can trust me. Just just trust me. Let's get simple again. Just trust me. Let me pray with you. Oh, Father, thank you for your people. Thank you for the unspeakable opportunity to open the word of God and speak to them about it. I pray you'll help us to be a people open to you. ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a song invitation and something you need to bring before the Lord, or maybe you need to turn to someone near you, or maybe come here and we will talk to you about the Scripture and about your how you can come to know Christ. We'll not make a spectacle out of you. We'll be out of the way. We'll talk to you about truth about it. So, a song invitation, please. It's good for those of us who are believers to be reminded <clears throat> of the realities behind what we hold dear. Great deal of confidence in that.